Thank you, Pastor. Are you glad to be in church this morning? I am, uh, we are grateful. We're thankful you're here. And I, I, there's something, I, I was trying to think of it and I don't remember what it is, but I feel like there's something else going on today. Um, but whatever it is, it's not as important uh, as being in God's house this morning. Amen? Amen. All right. Everybody having a good time so far? All right. We got, uh, we got some good words for you this morning. Um, my prayer is that God gives me uh, the words that we'd have me to share. Uh, and that he gives you open ears, open minds, and open hearts to allow his word to dwell in you richly. Um, I hope he can remove me of self and put me out of the way today and just share with you what he has uh, for you today. So we've been talking about action here at Oasis. And I know a couple weeks ago, Pastor Aaron, I don't know if it's even there, but there was a kapow. Still not there. There it is. We grow in action, and we've been camping out for the last uh, two or three weeks in the book of Acts, and if you look at the book of Acts, it's all about the actions. It's, it's also called the Acts of the Apostles. It was the beginning of the early church, and so we're, we've been talking a lot about their action and our action and all uh, actions uh, kapow, right? So we've been, you've been hearing the term, and you're going to continue to hear the term over the next few weeks, months, and maybe years of we grow together. Uh, that's part of our action. As we grow, as we learn from his word, we grow together. And I've, I've titled this sermon, Doing Life Together. Doing Life Together. That's a, um, that's a term that Andrea and I have used, uh, felt and felt that we are to live by uh, is to do life with you, uh, do life with those around us. And that's exactly what the, the, year, the early church was doing in the book of Acts. And so I want to start reading today, uh, Acts chapter 2. We're going to go back to verses 42 through 47. And I want to share something with you. So earlier this week, Andrea and I were at dinner with some friends. And we were talking about just studying small groups and life groups and Bible studies and, and all the stuff. And the conversation came up about there's something powerful about holding God's Word in your hand. There's something powerful about taking it and turning those pages and going to where you want to read. And, you know, I, I really felt convicted in that. And I say that because I'm very uh, quick to use the Bible app. And don't get me wrong, I love the Bible app. It's, it's good, it's quick, you're there. But as we were having that conversation, it really kind of started tugging on my heart. You know, it is, it is important to have a copy of God's Word, and there is something powerful about holding it in your hand, and there's something very powerful when we open it, find the passage that we're looking for, and read it from His Word. So this morning, I say all that really just maybe to challenge you, um, maybe encourage you. If you have a written copy of God's Word, number one, keep it close. But number two, if you have it, bring it on Sunday morning. As we have the opportunity to dive into His Word, uh, as Pastor Aaron leads us each Sunday morning, and you have it in your hand, and you have the opportunity to open it and look at that. And, and I'll just be transparent here. I'm preaching to myself um, because I do. I, I use the app a lot. But it's really been working on me since we had that conversation, how important it is to dive into His Word. So if you have it this morning, uh, turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. 
And I will say, I'm going to read it from my Bible so I can practice what I preach, right? But what that does is that requires me to put these on, so don't make fun of me. I can read the iPad because I can blow it up, right? But when it comes to this, I'm going to put my glasses on. So Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, those are on the screen, but let's read those together, and I'll be reading this morning out of the ESV. And the headline here says, The Fellowship of the Believers. Starting at verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Now church, that should be our prayer. That day by day, the Lord is adding to our number those who are being saved. Not those in attendance, not those filling seats, but those who are being saved by the loving, merciful, saving grace of Jesus Christ. It says the Lord added to their number, day by day. You know, you, you look at all the things, their, their actions, uh, you know, and, and Pastor Aaron and I were talking a, a few days ago about these verses, Acts 42 through 40, or excuse me, 2, 42 through 47, they are so applicable to every aspect of our spiritual growth. If you read that, you see exactly what they were doing there in that first church, that early church, what they were doing. They were coming together in fellowship. They were worshiping. They were in prayer. And it said that they were had all things in common. Now you think of that literally. You know, you know, every single one of them didn't have technically all things in common. They probably didn't all have the same color eyes or the maybe had different hair or maybe they had different things that they liked or different hobbies or maybe different professions. But what they did have, they had the absolute most important thing in common. And that was the love of Jesus Christ. And so by that, and by that being the bond, and that being the strength that brought them together, it brought them together with all things in common. They shared, they took care of each other, they fellowshiped, they stayed in His Word, they stayed in prayer, and they sought Him with everything they did. They had everything in common. And you know, and, and in that, you, you just think about when the, when the disciples asked, asked the, Jesus what the two greatest commandments. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Number two... It's to love your neighbor as yourself. That's exactly what that early church was doing in the book of Acts. And it says the Lord added to their number day by day. First thing I want to talk about today is it's Jesus first. Amen? It's Jesus first. And I will tell you, I kind, of, I kind of felt like this morning I need to keep David up on stage with me. David, everybody knows David is our hype man, right? So if we could have anything where a verse was powerful, anything said, I'd get David over here going, Amen! Right? I mean, there you go. So, uh, you know, maybe we need to work on that for next time, try to put a, put a little plan together. But let's step back. Uh, in putting Jesus first, I want to I step back and give a little, uh, uh, maybe a little chronological history. 
if you will, just kind of let you know where we are, what took us to where we are uh, at this point in Acts chapter 2. And it's something that you've heard preached uh, through Acts over the last few weeks, but just in case you weren't here, uh, or maybe even uh, haven't heard how we got to this point, I want to kind of break that down. Is that okay? So if you look back at the Old Testament, let's just go back there. So Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, okay? So if you go back to the beginning, everything from creation points to the coming of Jesus Christ. You can walk all the way through the Old Testament, and there's a lot of meat in there. There's a lot of good, uh, good study, um, a lot of opportunities to learn, but the theme throughout the entire Bible is the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, as we step into the end of the Old Testament with the book of Malachi, it's believed there was about 400 years between Malachi and Matthew which is the first book of the New Testament, right? So you got about 400 years there where you weren't having the prophets speaking. They weren't physically hearing from the Lord, but they were preparing for their coming Messiah. Okay? So there are 400 years between Malachi and that time uh, in the New Testament. So you step up to where we get to that, the New Testament, the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The four Gospels tell of the time that Jesus was physically present with us on the earth. And if you read through the Gospels, you've got four different accounts, uh, a lot of the same um, actions, a lot of the same stories, a lot of the same details are told in different um, Gospels, but it's told by their view, right? So these four writings tell, tell about the time Jesus was physically with us on earth. It, you go through his genealogy, uh, we learn the, his, his family ancestry from Mary's side and from Joseph's side. Uh, it comes into the angels coming to Mary and telling her that the Messiah is going to be born of her. Uh, you have the miraculous virgin birth. Uh, you have uh, Herod wanting to kill him because he, he knew it was something special. You know, you think all this time in the Old Testament we've been preparing for that coming Messiah, right? And then he's born as a baby, as a, as a newborn, born of a virgin. And at that point, even the king said, you know, we've got to get rid of this guy because there's something big coming. And so then we read in, on into the Gospels. Uh, there's a story of him uh, being taken to the temple as an infant uh, with, with Simeon, where Simeon, uh, God had told him he was not going to taste death until he saw the Messiah. And when he saw Mary and Joseph come into the temple with Jesus, he said, I can die in peace because I have seen what God promised. That's part of the, part of the New Testament as we walk through it. Uh, we don't read a lot about uh, Jesus's childhood. We know there's one time where he was, uh, his family had left him in uh, behind, and they're like, "Oh no, anybody ever done that? Anybody ever left your kids behind?" And and they're like, "Oh no, we got to go back." And where did they find him? He was in the temple. He was studying and he was learning because he had to be about his father's will and his father's way. So this is what we're learning. And then as we continue on into the Gospels, Jesus uh, starts his ministry and he calls his disciples. He calls the first ones, and they immediately follow him. You know why they follow him? Because what he had to say was powerful. What he had to say was truth. And when he said, follow me, they surrendered to that and said, I'm coming. I'm in. Right? And so he goes for three years. He's preaching and teaching. And these guys are following him, and they're living with him, and they're learning from him, and they're hearing him preach, and they're seeing miracles performed. They've seen blind people made to see. They've seen people that have been lame from birth healed to walk as an adult. They've seen him walk on water. They've seen him turn water into wine. They witnessed all of these things, the miracles of his ministry. 
And he took that ministry, sharing the gospel. And if you break the, down the gospel, it just simply means the good news. The good news is Jesus first. And so he preached, and he taught, and he loved, and he took on your sins and my sins by going to the cross and suffering a death that he didn't deserve because he loved us that much. That's who Jesus was. That's who Jesus is. And so he, he was put on the cross. He was crucified. They watched this. All the crowd around watched it. He was crucified, and just to make sure he was dead, they pierced him in the side. They knew he was dead. They saw him hanging there lifeless. And then he was buried. He was put in the tomb. And then three days later, he rose. Because death couldn't hold him. Amen? Death could not hold him. So that's where we are as we come into Acts. Uh, we've we've kind of, you know, give you a little cliff note version there. But after he was crucified and buried and resurrected, he appeared. The Bible mentions at least eight different times where he appeared to his followers and his believers. Uh, he appeared to his disciples uh, multiple occasions. He appeared to several along the way over a 40-day period and at one point even to a multitude of over 500 so for eight different times he appeared after they had watched him die, they had seen him be pierced, they saw him be buried, and then he rose. And then he makes appearances to them. And so he tells his disciples, do not leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So then the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, as he's standing there talking to him, and they say, Lord, are you going to restore us at this time? And he said, it's not for you to know. God's timing. And as he spoke to them, he was taken up in a cloud out of their midst. And it says that they stood there looking. Two angels stood beside them and said, Why do you look into heaven? For this Jesus who you just saw go will return in the same manner. Amen? That's where we've been in Acts. That's what's brought us to where we are. They go to the upper room. And you picture a house that's almost like a second floor of an older like a, a, that kind of house at that point. They were in the upper room and praying and worshiping and just waiting as the Lord told them to do. Wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. They're in the upper room and then we've read over the last couple of weeks about the time that the mighty rushing wind came through the room when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And it was so powerful, we heard about the flaming tongues that rested on their shoulders. They're here in this room, they're just waiting because Jesus told them to. They're waiting because that was His instruction. Because they knew everything He promised was coming true. They knew if He said it was going to happen, it was going to happen. So they wait in that upper room until that Holy Spirit filled them. And it was so powerful, the mighty sound, the wind, and everything that was happening was so powerful that those all around heard it, saw it, and came because they knew something big was going on. So the crowds gathered around. And at that point, it says that they all started speaking in different tongues. So that everybody that come, everybody that crowded around, could hear what they were saying and could hear it in their own language. And they're like, are these guys not just the regular fishermen and just the ordinary people from Galilee? How are they speaking like this? They must be drunk. Because I guess that's what happens when you get drunk. You hear different languages and can speak them? I don't know. Is that how that works? They must be drunk, they said. 
So then Peter's like, okay. And I think Pastor Aaron made reference to this a couple weeks ago. And he's like, nobody else is talking. I guess I'm going to step up and take this, right? And so Peter steps up and he says, no, we're not drunk. We're filled with the Holy Spirit just as it was promised. So I want to read here. Let's go into Acts. We're stepping backwards a little bit. We're going to Acts chapter 2. We're going to verses 22 through 24. This is where we are in the story. So Jesus says, men, or excuse me, Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Amen? David? Amen? <laughs> it was not possible for him to be held by it. So, you know, the, the sad thing there is Peter's looking at them and he says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we preach to you today. And he says, that power has come from Jesus Christ. That power has come from Jesus alone, the one that you spit on, turned your back on, rejected, turned him over to be arrested. Just a week prior, you were cheering him and loving life, but then you totally turned on him and you screamed, crucify him. You, all of you in this crowd, this Jesus that you crucified, that's what Peter's saying. They gave you an option to release somebody from prison. It was going to be either a convicted, heinous murderer, or they could release Jesus. And you said, release the murderer and kill Jesus. That's what Peter's telling the crowd. This Jesus that you killed, he's the one. And the sad part about that is Peter could be and is preaching that exact same sermon to you and me. It's just truth. It's truth. Your sins put Jesus on the cross. My sin put Jesus on the cross. He took that for me because he loves me that much. And he took it for you because he loves you that much. And Peter's saying, you in the crowd, all of you that turned on him and cried, crucify him. He did that for you. That's pretty tough, isn't it? That's harsh. It gets better. Let's continue reading. At this point, we're going to go to, uh, we're going to, go to Acts 2. Verse 36 through 41. This is still Peter speaking in this same sermon. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, 
Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Wow. That's where we are, where we started reading today. When we started reading in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, that brought us to that point. They heard it. They believed. They repented. They were baptized in the name of Jesus. And they came together with the believers, living life and doing life together. You know, I want, we talked there a lot about what Peter said. I want to talk a little bit about what Peter didn't say. When he's talking to them, he didn't say, if you're one of the ones that heard his message, you're one of the ones that he preached to and you rejected him, if you're one of the ones that turned your back on him, if you're one of the ones that tried to do it your own way, this is not for you. He didn't say that. If you're one of the ones that cried, crucify him, and led him to the cross, and said, kill him, and spit on him, and beat him, maybe you're the one that stabbed him with the spear. Peter didn't say that. He didn't say it's not for you. They said, you know, it says there that they felt cut to the heart. Have you ever felt cut to the heart? Have you ever looked and said, Lord, what have I done? What have I done? I, I picture them being absolutely broken. Because they turned on him and then they saw that he was and is who he said he was all along. It says they were cut to the heart. What have I done? And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brother, what can we do? What can we do? We're at this point of no return. Peter didn't say it's not for you. He said it's simple. Repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Simple as that. Have you ever, I, I'm going to say it's probably in this room today. You have probably thought, you know what, I'm too far gone. I'm too bad. The things I've done is so terrible. Maybe you've hurt somebody you love. Maybe you've gone down some bad paths in your life. I don't know what it is. But I guarantee you at some point in here we beat ourselves up saying, man, I'm just not, I'm not even capable of being saved. I've gone too far. Peter didn't say that to you either. Peter says no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, where you are right now, Repent. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for your sins. And you know, if, as we read in there, it says that when Peter was preaching that day, 3,000 souls came to know the Lord that day. Just from his sermon. The word that he shared. 
The Lord spoke to them. 3,000. And then as we read in, in the 2, 42 through 47, as they're meeting together, they're in the temple, they're breaking bread together in each other's houses. They are coming together as one. But all that's the same people. They came together in a spiritual life group, if you will, in the book of Acts. Now, I want to, I want to look, you don't have to raise your hand, but I want you to think about this. Have you ever had an opportunity where you said, you know what, I need to be part of that. I need to be part of a Bible study. I need to be part of a small group. I want to be part of that. I want some of that. I just don't know enough. I haven't read it enough. I haven't studied it enough. I hadn't heard it preached enough. Whatever. All those things. Yeah, have you ever had that? And don't raise your hand, but think about it. Because I guarantee you, at some point, everybody in this room has had that thought. I would love to be part of that, but I can't really fit into the conversation. But you know what? It says, as they came to him and souls were added that day. That's the last verse we read in verse 41. Those who received his word were baptized and were added that day, about 3,000 souls. The very next, very next verse is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. They immediately became part of, part of that family, part of that fellowship from the moment that they repented. You know, just talk about what is the word repentance, repent. Repent means to turn from. You know, and, and that's what Peter told him to do. He didn't say, you done, you, you done messed up. He didn't say any of that. He said, where you are, just repent. And the word repent means just get away from. Turn the opposite direction. And if you look, the word repent or repentance or a form of that word is used over 60 times throughout the Old and the New Testament. That tells us, number one, there's a need for it. If it's that prominent, if we see it that much, it tells us there's a need for that. Number two, it gives us the opportunity, it gives us the instruction to do it. Repent. Turn from it. Go the other direction and put it behind you. I love John MacArthur says this about repentance. He says, false repentance dreads the consequences of sin. True repentance dreads sin itself. I want you to just think about that for a minute. You know, false repentance, you, you may not do it because you don't want to get caught. Just being real, right? Or you may not want to do it because ah, it could be bad if it went the, the other direction. It could be a bad thing for me, so I'm just not going to do that. But true repentance says, I don't want to even think about it. This is an opportunity over here that's not going to be good, and I don't even want to let my mind go there. I want to turn completely from it because I don't dread the consequences of it. I dread sin itself. That's true repentance, and that's pretty deep when you think about it. So as these, as these believers were coming to the Lord, and they were believing, and they were being baptized, and they became part of that fellowship. You know, you guys have been hearing from us over the last few weeks how important it is uh, to be part of a life group. That's exactly what they were doing. They came together in the church. It says they met in the temple. I believe 100% that we need to come together in this form of worship. We need to come together and we need to sing praises to Him. We need to pray to Him. We need to hear His Word preached. We need to hear His Word read, His Word spoken. And I believe we need that together. But I also believe that we need something in addition to that. And as we come together in our life groups, we have the opportunity to 
bring all things in common. We're not going to have all things in common every little to the nth degree. Not every one of us is going to follow the pastor's lead and love the Cleveland Browns. Amen? But you know what? When we come together under the umbrella of the saving grace of Jesus Christ, we have all things that matter in common. And we come together collectively in those environments, and there's power in that, there's strength in that, and that's the opportunity for us to really grow individually, spiritually. We need corporate worship. We need this, this setting. But we also need to do life together in addition to Sunday morning. Every single one of us. Now I want to look, there's, there's numerous verses in the Bible that talk about the need for each other. We need each other. I want to read just a few of those. And then there, there's plenty more, but these right here are some that just kind of stuck out to me. First one is Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. It says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. If we move on in the book of Acts, chapter 5, verse 42, it says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know, I want to look out at you guys sitting here and you can look at each other. Each one of you is a part of that body. Each one of us is a part of that body. And when we build ourselves up in Him, we build up in love. Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Even if you go back to the Old Testament in Ecclesiastes, there was a verse, a couple verses I wanted to share there. Ecclesiastes verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 9 through 12 says, Two are better than one, because they have good reward for their toil. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. We need each other. We need the strength of the Lord, and every single one of us is going to have those moments where we feel like we're falling down. But how... Much of a blessing is it when you have one of your brothers or one of your sisters that reaches out and says, I'm here for you and picks you up when you're down. We all need that, just being real. We were designed, God, God created us, number one, for a relationship with Him. 
but number two, for a relationship with each other. Amen? You know, I, w- I want to I want to share something. I read a book recently, and for those, my wife may gasp when I say that term because I'm not much of a reader. So I read a book, and I will say, uh, you know, I've been hanging out with some guys like like James Rourke that forces me to read more, and and so it, it's growing me. And that's part of my that's I appreciate that. He turned me on to a book called Not a Fan. Anybody ever read that? No, <laughs> y'all need to read Not a Fan. Uh, written written by Kyle Eidelman. And there's a point in, in Not a Fan, and he says, you know, I've got a GPS on my phone. And he said, I usually choose not to use it. And he says, most of the time when I do use it, it's because I've tried to go somewhere, and I think I know where I'm going, and I get to a point where I realize I'm lost. And he said, so at that point, I'll get my phone out, and I'll start looking. And so I'll put in my, my destination. He said, the first thing it asks me is, do you want directions from your current location? He said, I find that interesting because it doesn't say, go back to where you started from, start over, and then we'll get you there. It doesn't, you don't have to look at all the roads that you should have been on to get to the right place. What it says is, I'll take you from right where you are and get you to your destination. He says, that's much like Jesus. When we come to Jesus, every one of us has got a past. And every one of us has things that we're probably not proud of. And every one of us probably has things, if we could go back and do it a different way, we would choose to do that. But you know what? You can't do that. But what you can do is you can say, Lord, take me from my current location. Take me from where you found me. And he will meet you right where you are today. It doesn't matter all. Anything that's in your past There's nothing you can do about that. But what you can do is you can start from this moment and say, I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn from it. I'm going to ask Jesus to come into my life as my Lord and Savior. I want to be baptized in his name. And I want to live life, doing life together with the other believers. You don't have to look at the roads you should have been on. And you don't have to go back where you started and do it over. He says he will meet you exactly where you are right now. But I guarantee you he will not leave you where he found you he wants us to come to him he wants a relationship with us and in that relationship with us that grows that relationship with each other we need each other and we need to grow together I want to close this morning with a little little testimony of mine of what small groups have meant to me over the years so Andrea and I got married I mean, we got married in the 20th century, so I mean, it's, you know, we're, we've been married for a while. And we got married in the mid-90s, and we started going to a little church, and really enjoyed the church, loved the worship, loved the pastor, and, and so we, we started going to what at that point was Sunday school, right? We had, we had life groups that met on Sunday morning, so we'd go to life group for an hour, and then we'd go to worship uh, after that. And so we were doing that. That was a, kind of a normal Sunday thing. And the ladies got to be very active together. They were living life together. They were doing life together, if you will. They were going and and having lunch. And they were getting together and uh, reading the Bible. They were having a Bible study. Or they'd go to breakfast. Or they were hanging out. Or if if, if there were two kids, I think, at that point in that small group. uh, So they'd get together a little play day. Whatever the case was, they were doing things in addition to just our Sunday morning activities. So the guys were like, you know what? The girls are doing all this stuff. Maybe we should do something too, right? And so 
We're like, okay, what do we do? We decided to play football. That's what we, we either go fishing, we go hunting, we play sports, or we eat, right? That's what we do as guys. So we decided to go play football. So we met at a park, and we played, I don't know, a couple hours, had a good time, you know, whatever. So I come back home, and, and Andrew's like, well, how was your guy time? My answer was, was good. He's like, well, what'd you do? It's like, we played football. It's like, okay. And we, there, was a, there was a couple that had just started coming, and the guy's name was Charlie. Remember this vividly. And she's like, well, how was Charlie? I was like, I don't know, good. She was like, anything new with this family? I'm like, I don't know. She was like, well, what did you guys do? I was like, we played football. We didn't talk. It was just who we were. But I want to share in that, that was, some of our, that was one of my first experiences. I think it, probably the first experience, getting together with other men, other believers from that small group. And, and what I want to share with you this morning is from that small group, which was in 97, 98, so you're talking 27 years ago. We met some of our closest friends, and we're still that close together. We, we actually, there's several of those couples going vacations together here 27 years later, and we hang out. And I know if I had a problem in my life, even though we're 1,700 miles away, I could call them, and I guarantee they'd be on a plane and head this way. It's because what we had was the bond that brought us together was the love of Christ and His love for us. And we had all things in common. All things that mattered in that group. And over the years, we've had an opportunity to be parts of just awesome, awesome life groups. We had that first one that we played football. We had several in little little church in Tennessee. We had made great friends that we talked to still. We've been here for seven years. I got, well, there's some friends of ours here today that were some of the very first people we met when we moved to Henderson. And we started a life group together, and we're sitting here today doing life. It's important. It's important to have, number one, Jesus first. But it's also important that we have each other, and we strengthen each other, and we build each other up. And when you come and you say, I want to be part of that, but I don't know enough, don't let that hinder you. That's just the enemy telling you not to be part of it. It doesn't matter if you are brand new and you've never opened the Bible or you've been reading it, or you've read it all the way through 20 times over your life, I guarantee you when we come together as a small group, each one of us is going to learn something. Every time we come together, we're going to take something from it. It's important. And when we read what Peter preached, and the 3,000 that were added that day, and they immediately became part of the fellowship. And then it talks about the fellowship as they went through that in the temple breaking bread in their homes and doing all things in common together. And it says the Lord added to their number day by day. Now I, want to, I have a couple photos. Guys, do you have the photos that you can show that first one? This right here, that's pretty close up for one thing. So this right here, this photo was from my daughter's wedding. Our daughter got married in August. And this photo here is important to me because if you look, and I don't know how many faces there are in there. I'd have to count them. But this right here are the kids that were born into that very first life group 27 years ago. 
Here they are as adults together. It just, it's, it's amazing to me they're, they're doing life together. So this was at her wedding in August. And I got one more photo I want to show and I'm going to wrap up. This one right here is really special to me as well. My son sent me this picture in December. So this, again, is some of the kids of that, from that life group. Some of them are adults now. A couple of them are married and they're living their own lives. But you know what's important to me is he called and he said, Dad, we've decided that we're going to get together and have Christmas dinner. Wow. As a dad, I couldn't have been more proud. That life group that we started with the thing that brought us together was Jesus Christ and the love that he had for us. And when he brought us together and we started doing life together 27 years ago, he has kept that bond over the years. And that is the results of it. When you see kids, all, every one of those there was born during that time period. And they had so much interaction and lived so much life together as kids that as adults, they're choosing to do the same. You couldn't ask for more than that. So as we close out today, I just want to say that my prayer for you, number one, that you come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. If you're at a point in your life where you've never surrendered, you've never asked him to come into your life, why wait? Don't let it go past today. Say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm one of the ones that Peter was preaching to. My sin is what put you on the cross. But Lord, I pray for your forgiveness. I ask you to come into my life, be my Lord, and be my Savior. He will do that. Just like the GPS analogy, He will meet you exactly where you are. So my prayer first is that you know Him. Second, be part of a life group. Let those around you strengthen you, encourage you, build you up, hold you when you're down, and come together and do life together. I can personally say, through my experience, that's the blessings of it 25, 27 years later. So I urge you to do that. So I'm going to ask if, if the praise team wants to come up. Today, I'm just going to ask for a moment. If I can have everybody with, with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to pray it out. And if you, maybe you made a decision today. Maybe you said, Lord, I, I do, I need you in my life. Um, I know that I am a sinner, Lord, and I know that I'm saved by your grace and your grace alone. And I want to come to you. If you want to do that, and if you want to come forward today, I would be more than happy to speak with you. If you just want to come up and pray, you're welcome to do that too. And find that fellowship. Be part of that group. Be part of that fellowship of other believers to strengthen you and grow you each and every day. Lord, I, I just pray today that Something this morning that has been said, something that has been sung, something that has been felt, Lord, has touched hearts. And I pray that you, uh, Lord, work in us. I thank you, Lord, for your saving grace and just for who you are, that you love us that much. And Lord, as we have the opportunities to come together and worship you, Lord, I just pray that you fill this place. Lord, I just also ask that you touch each heart that's here this morning. 
just so that we may have a desire first and foremost to know you more but second that we may come together with believers Lord and do life together Lord we love you and we praise you and we give you thanks in all things Amen